Good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us. Everyone is still making their way in and getting settled. We'll go ahead and get started today. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us and be a part of us today. I want to read a scripture to us to begin our time together. Psalm 147, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Bible tells us it is right and good to sing to God. What we're going to do here in just a moment is not just you standing and singing because we say, hey, stand and sing. And it doesn't matter that if you're good or not, because let's be honest, most of you aren't. I'm not either. But we don't have Simon Cowell up here like, it's a little pitchy, right? It's not going to happen. You only have an audience of one, and that is God. And he tells us here, it is, a, it is a direct command of God that you sing. And not just to sing, but why we sing. The reason we sing, again, is not because we're good at it, not because we enjoy it, not because the band plays our favorite song. The reason that we sing is because we see who God is. And as we see how glorious and amazing and beautiful and awesome God is, we're drawn to sing. We want to sing praises to Him. So I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to stand here in just a moment. We're going to sing. I want to ask you to sing in response to who God is, who you know Him to be. The greatest treasure in the universe. The greatest, most glorious, powerful amazing king who loves you sent his son to die so that you can be right with him and filled you with the spirit and lives literally dwelling inside you as we see who this God is, how great he is we're just lifting our voices in response to that so I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me I want to, I want to pray for us as we begin our time worshiping together and God, I just pray, one, first of all, that you would empower us today to see you, God, for who you are. See you, God, for how glorious and beautiful and amazing you are. And as we see you for who you are, we're drawn to you, and we can't help but lift our voices singing. Do this in us today for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, church. Let's sing a new song today. Let's celebrate. My soul will wait. Come on.
steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait, my soul will wait for you. You're my stronghold and my shield in the midst of
just finished singing praises to God in response to who He is. The Bible would also talk about us praying praises to God in response to who He is. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, He doesn't start with our needs. He doesn't start with what we want from God. He starts with praising God. Right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This idea of hallowing God's name, in other words, it's, it's praising God. He's holy. He's, he's worthy of all of our praise. And so as we pray, as we spend time praying, it's important that we spend time really praising God and getting in response to who He is. And I want us to do that here. I want us to practice that a little bit. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And um, I want to give you the floor I want to hear you praise God. What is it that, who God is that stirs up in your praise? And so let's just, just all over this place, just lift your voice right now together. Let's just lift our voices praising God. Who is God to you? Let's, let's hear some praise. Amen.
what else? Amen. Amen. Faithful. Amen. 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 God, we just thank you. You are all of this and so much more. I ask you, Lord God, that we would be people of praise. And this happens primarily as we see who you are. As we see who you are, we're drawn to praise. When you see a, a beautiful sunset, you go, wow. When you, when you see something glorious, it, it, it just flows out of you automatically. You don't even think about praising that thing that you find amazing. It just happens. So I pray, God, as we see you for who you are, that praise will just flow out of us. So God, the thing that stops us from praising is not just the conscious, oh, I need to praise God, but what stops us from praising you is not really seeing you for who you are. So I pray, Lord, that that will be changed in us. Let us see who you really are. Let us be in awe of who you are and let that change us for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, let's find John chapter 18 together. John 18. It'll take us a little bit to get there. We'll work our way to it, but that's where we're heading you can go ahead and find that John chapter 18. So we're jumping back in to a series that we're calling The Story. And the idea behind this series is we want to see the big overarching story of the Bible. What the Bible is really about. And the reason we want to do that is because I really believe the majority of us, reason, if you do struggle in the faith, if you struggle with the Bible, if you struggle with, with feeling like... Um, what God's Word says is being faithful and bearing out fruit in your life. I think one of the reasons that we feel like that's not happening is because, quite honestly, we come at the Bible the wrong way. And we come at the Bible, I've said to you, kind of like a medicine cabinet, right? You've got a medicine cabinet in your house where uh, whatever illness or ailment you have, you go to the medicine cabinet, you find what fixes that particular ailment, and you take it. And oftentimes we treat the Bible kind of like that, right? We have a problem, so we treat the Bible like our medicine cabinet. I'm going to go to my spiritual medicine cabinet, find the pill that's going to help what I'm struggling with. I'm just going to take that and then put it, shut the cabinet up and put it back until I need something again. 
So when you struggle with fear, you go to the Bible to find a verse on fear. You struggle with doubt, you go to the Bible to find a verse on doubt. You struggle with a particular sin, you go to the Bible to find a verse about that particular sin. Which isn't necessarily bad, it's just incomplete. And the reason that hasn't been fulfilling, that hasn't been satisfying, that hasn't scratched the itch that you're desiring is because you're coming at the Bible in the wrong way. And we have to understand, the Bible was written for you, but the Bible was not written about you. Right? You're not the point. And when we come to the Bible like a medicine cabinet, we're kind of making us the point. God exists for me. I have an issue, so I go to the Bible to solve that problem, and then I'm going to go off and live my life until I have another problem, and then I come back to God. Instead of what I'm hoping to help us see with this series is the big story of the Bible that it's all about God, how glorious and beautiful and amazing He is, and as we see Him for who He is, we're drawn to Him, we love Him, we desire Him, and we pursue Him. So today, the big storyline of the Bible we're going to be tackling is this idea of a king and God being our king. From the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, this was not just about a God creating. This was about a king ruling over his creation. And not only was God ruling over his creation, but God also created Adam and Eve for the purpose of empowering them to help in ruling over his creation. I'll read for you Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, that's king language, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The point was God is a king and he was setting up what the theological term is vice regents. These, these, his, his created Adam and Eve serving on his behest as ruling over his creation on earth. So when we have Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit, this is very important. This is not just two people doing a thing they should not have done. This is Adam and Eve choosing another king. The whole point was God is supposed to be the king. God is ruling over his creation. God rules over his people. And his people rightfully and joyfully submit to him as their great and glorious king. But when they chose to eat the fruit and follow after the serpent, they weren't just doing a bad thing. They were choosing to usurp their king and pick a new king, Satan. Which is, in essence, every sin that's ever been committed. Whenever you and I sin, we're not just doing a thing we shouldn't do. We're picking a different king. God is supposed to be our king. But instead of joyfully submitting to him and his rule and reign over our life, we pick a new king, a different king that we would rather serve. And so when Adam and Eve do this, something significant shifts on the earth. It's a big deal. 
Something happened. Something changed in the way Satan relates to humanity and relates to this earth. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 31, this shift is so significant. John 12, 31 now calls Satan the ruler of this world. Ephesians 2, 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Do you hear this language? Ruler of the world. Prince of the air. This is king-type language. God is a king, but the people of God have rebelled against his king and chasing after other kings and pursuing other kingdoms. And this idea of king and kingdom flows throughout the entire Bible. That's why in Colossians, when it's describing salvation, it doesn't just say you bowed your head and asked Jesus into your heart. Colossians describes salvation is you being captive to the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus, your great king, came in victory, destroying that kingdom, rescuing you from that kingdom, and now bringing you into the kingdom of the beloved light. This is this king language that God is using to describe everything in the Bible and everything in your life as well. So for the rest of the Bible, God is seeking to set back up his kingdom, to rescue his rebellious and stupid kids from their sin that caused them to be trapped in a kingdom of darkness. He wants to rescue you from that and place you in to the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is the story of the entire rest of the Bible. You see it in Exodus when the people of God are in slavery and God brings them out of slavery. He's not just delivering them from slavery. He's showing that he's a better king than Pharaoh. Pharaoh was supposed to be the most glorious and powerful king on earth. But God, the true king, comes in and shows that he really rules and he really reigns. And this Pharaoh is just a man. Then he sets up his covenant relationship with them on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he's using again this king-type language. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, kingdom, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak the people of Israel. God is the king. Israel was the, is his kingdom. The tabernacle and the temple are his palace that he dwells in. All of this is king language. And so then when God leads Israel into the promised land, you see he is leading them in as a victorious king, conquering all of their enemies. You see that in Joshua 21. Thus says the Lord, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. However, after Joshua dies, the people of God rebel. They do what they think is right in their own eyes. You see that in Judges chapter 2. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from other gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So they rebelled, and it was right in their own eyes. They served other gods. And then this rebellion culminates in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and the people of God saying, you know what? Let's make this official. We want a different king. 
We don't want God to be our king. We want to set up our own king. It's one thing to do something and not say it. It's something else to totally just say it, right? You look at someone dead in the eye and go, here's how I'm going to hurt you. That's exactly what the people of God did. First Samuel chapter 8, they go to Samuel and they say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want our own king. We want to do it our own way. We want to do what we think is right in our own eyes. We want to be like all of them. And again, this is exactly where we all are. All sin, all rebellion, all of it is rooted in you selecting a king. Who is going to really rule your life? Who is going to really be in charge? Who are you really going to submit to? And God warns them here. They were supposed to serve God as their king. They wanted a different king. And God said, all right, look, if I give you this king, it's going to go bad for you. Right? He's not going to help you. He's not going to bless you. He's going to be fallen and sinful. It's going to go bad. But even though he warns them, it's very interesting, even though he warns them, they still just had to do it. Right? Everyone here, you know, like you've been warned to do something, but you didn't really heed the warning. You had to experience it before you realized, oh, yeah, that's why it's bad. Like, oh, right, that's why God said don't do that. Sometimes God allows you to experience the consequence of a sin so that you realize why that was bad. Sometimes we get warned about things. Don't do this, don't do this. And then you just, but, but you're so consumed with this other king that you're pursuing, you chase after it anyway. Like, don't take that girl, she's crazy. And then you end up marrying her. Guys right here, don't look around. Just don't, don't look around. And that's what happened here. The people of God wanted their own king, and so they did. God let them have what they wanted. Sometimes God's greatest punishment on us is giving us what we said we wanted. Listen, sometimes that great prophet, theologian, Garth Brooks was right. Right? Thank God for those unanswered prayers. But they got their king. His name was Saul. And he was everything God said he was going to be. He was violent. He was selfish. He was disobedient to God. He cared way more about himself than he did serving God or serving his people. So, the people suffered. However... God desired to raise up another king, a better king, a king that would glorify him, a king that would uh, 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 bring honor and glory to his name. He says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he wants to select a king that would pursue his heart above all else. And we see in 1 Samuel 16, God selecting this king. I want to read it for you. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So Samuel goes. He goes to Jesse's house. He says, Let me see all your sons. And so verse 6. 
When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Remember, God was pursuing a man who was going to be after his heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are you all out of sons? And he said, Well, there is the kid. I mean, how amazing is this? David was his own father's afterthought. His own dad thought so little. He didn't even think to call him up from the sheep. So, verse 11, were all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Eventually Saul dies. David becomes king. And not only does God set David up as king, but God sets this covenant up with David. You see that in 2 Samuel 7. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God was promising David a forever kingdom. And as you read through the story of David, it seems like God's doing that. God blesses David and God is blessing the kingdom of Israel. And it seems like God is doing this. He's raising up this great and amazing king. And then David dies and the reins are handed off to his son Solomon, who is even better 1 Kings 10, 23 says, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the whole earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. God's covenant promise seems to be happening. Through David and his line, God was setting up not just a king over a nation, but he was setting up his kingdom on earth. And he seemed to be using Solomon to do it. But here's the problem. Solomon is just a man. And what we see as we go through the rest of the story of Solomon, Solomon falls. Instead of governing and guiding God's people according to God's good word, Solomon starts amassing for himself wealth, amassing for himself power, amassing for himself women. I mean, dude was collecting women like we used to collect baseball cards. He had like a thousand. And not only was he doing this, not only was he obsessed with wealth and obsessed with accolade and obsessed with sex, 
he was also starting to worship. He would get these women from these foreign lands that served these false gods, and he'd start worshiping and sacrificing along with them. And we see what happened as a result of that. 1 Kings 11, God says to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. And that's exactly what he did. Solomon died. Um, His idiot sons fought over it. Eventually tearing the kingdom apart. So he had the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. Um, The northern kingdom Israel fell into sin very quickly. I mean, they fell, like, overnight. Um, and then all the godly people left Israel and went south to Judah, which is why to this day, all smart godly people move south. Right? It's biblical. Welcome. So everybody moves south. Judah holds the line for a while, but eventually even Judah succumbs to this and becomes... Um, uh, wrapped up in idolatry. And then Israel and Judah are sent off into captivity. So think about this. We've got to kind of wrap our brains around what's happening here. God promised Israel a king and a forever kingdom. And now they have no king, they have no kingdom, and they're in captivity. Right? They are the farthest thing from experiencing what God promised to give them. Have you ever felt like the promises of God weren't happening. I know God promised this. I can see in his word that he's promised this in my life. But I'm not feeling it. I'm not experiencing it. I feel like it's not happening. It's exactly where they were. However, God had not forgotten them. And even in the midst of their captivity and their rebellion, God is still promising a great king. And you see that in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a scripture that we read often at Christmas. Isaiah 9 verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And on his name shall be called, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Even in the midst of captivity, even in the midst of their rebellion, even in the midst of their sin, God had not forgotten his covenant promise. Again, as we're going through the big storyline of the Bible, what I want you to see is this. People are consistently faithless and God is forever faithful. People think about losing their salvation. The reason that you are concerned about losing your salvation is because you think it's about your faithfulness and it's not. It's about Christ's faithfulness. And he has promised what he has gathered to himself. No one can rip away from him, not even you. The entire point of the Bible is God is faithfully pursuing and keeping and rescuing and saving his people. 
So he's pointing us to this great king, this great king, this great king. And now we know that great king's name is? The questions just get harder from here. i got to be honest. This is, you get a chance to give the Sunday school answer. We know the great king's name is? There we go. Now we're rocking. In fact, as the angel was talking to Mary and proclaiming over her the birth of Jesus, listen to what he said in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the great king. In fact, as Jesus shows up on earth, the very first message he ever preaches is Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The very first thing Jesus preaches is, I'm the king. This is the kingdom. Repent of these fake, false kings you've been pursuing. And believe the good news. This is the whole point. The kingdom of God is a massive theme in your Bible. It begins with God as a king. It continues with God promising a king. It goes on with Jesus showing up and being that great king. And then it ends in Revelation 19 with Jesus returning. Proclaiming about himself that he is king of kings. All the little K-kings bow to the great and glorious king. Over 150 times just in the New Testament, it's going to reference the kingdom of God. This is a mega theme. I want you to see this is how you're going to be able to really glean from the scriptures. How you're really going to be changed and shaped by the scriptures. If you see, the point of the scriptures is to push you to Jesus as your king. Not a medicine cabinet where you grab something that you're struggling with, but a decree pointing you to a king. This is the whole point. Which brings us to our scripture in John 18. And that was, ladies and gentlemen, the longest introduction in the history of sermons. It goes quicker from here. John 18, verse 33. Jesus has been arrested His friends have betrayed him. Now he's in the midst of going through this fake kangaroo trial. And he finds himself in front of Pilate, who is a Roman official. John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This is the question, right? Are you the king? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So Pilate, he's trying to figure this thing out. He could see that something is special about Jesus, but he doesn't know what. Some people call him a king, but the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. And this isn't making sense for Pilate. And and Pilate's main desire is to discern, is Jesus a threat to Rome? Pilate has one job. 
make sure your little section of the kingdom stays in check. Don't make Caesar look bad. Whatever you do, squash all rebellion. So this is Pilate's main concern. This Jesus, they keep calling a king, is he a threat to Rome? So he's trying to figure that out. And, and, and Jesus doesn't make sense to him because people are calling him a king. But in Pilate's mind, Caesar is the kind of king that really reigns. In Pilate's mind, people don't arrest their king. People obey their king. In Pilate's mind, people do not kill their king because he says or does something they don't like. The king kills them because they say or do something he doesn't like, right? None of this is making sense to him. In his mind, he's thinking, everyone keeps calling you the king of the Jews, but instead of fighting for you, they hand you over to me. Like, what's what's going on here? And then Jesus answered him. In verse 36, and this is where we pick up our first big point. Jesus is a better king with a better kingdom. He's not the kind of king that Pilate's thinking of. He's a different, better king. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus tries to explain that his kingdom is not like any other kingdom, right? Unlike earthly kingdoms, the kingdom of God originates in heaven, not on earth. And in contrast to other kingdoms, he's talking about, you know, why don't your followers fight for you? Every other kingdom that's ever existed expanded as a result of war and bloodshed, right? Fighting. It's every kingdom that's ever existed on earth. There's a battle. There's fighting. If you took Western Civ in high school or college, you studied the Roman Empire and the, the, the different um, uh, 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 Romanas, right? The Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And as you re- study the Peace of Rome, you find that really Rome just killed everyone that didn't like them and then called it peace. And this is Pilate's understanding of what a king would be like. Why aren't your followers rushing to save you? It's not making sense to him. But Jesus' kingdom is different. He is acknowledging that he is a king, but his kingdom is far different than anything on this earth. And then verse 37, Pilate responds back. Then Pilate said to him, So, and so if you have a Bible, circle the word so. We're going to come back to it. So, you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That word so that I drew your attention to, uh, in the Greek it's emphatic and sarcastic. Right. So um, some of you are bilingual, um, you're fluent in English and sarcasm. Uh, Pilate is your brother. So what Pilate is saying here is sort of this, so let me see if I get this straight. You're a king. You, a homeless, helpless Jewish peasant 
who is moments away from death, and I'm the only thing that can save you. Oh, but you're a king. Right? You can just feel the sarcasm dripping off of Pilate. But Jesus says, yeah, I am a king. I was born for this. In fact, if you remember the wise men uh, in the beginning of the Gospels, they come to Herod, and what did they say? Where is he who was born king of the Jews? This is the whole point. The entire Bible is leading up to this. Everything that we've seen, the reason that I traced through all of that, I spent the first 25 minutes tracing through all of that, is because I want you to see the Bible is a story about a king. A king who set up his kingdom, but his people rebelled against him. And that king should have and could have rightly just squashed that rebellion like every earthly king would have. Just kill the people who are trying to overthrow you. But your king didn't do that. Instead of killing you for your rebellion, he killed his son so that he can save you from Everything is about this. And I want you to think just for a moment. Every single one of us, every one of us in this room serves a king. And I know we don't think in those terms. We don't think about it in those ways. And so it feels foreign. So I just want to just unpack this just for a moment. Every single one of us has someone or something in our life that rules over us, that, that we serve. We do what they tell us to do. We think what they tell us to think. For some, your king is self. You do what you want to do. You live how you want to live. You think what you want to think. Right? This personal autonomy and self-actualization, it's the mantra of our world. People desperately want to do what they feel like is best for them. And what you're doing there is you're making yourself king. And you want to find out if someone is making their self king? Tell them something that they want to do is a sin and they should not do it. Right? I know that person hurt you. But God commands you to forgive them. What? You don't know. I, I know that your marriage is a dumpster fire right now. I mean, to call it a dumpster fire would be an offense to both dumpsters and fires. But I don't think you have a biblical grounds for divorce here. What? How dare you? God would never want me to stay in this. And what you reveal there is that God is not your king. You are your king. You are ruling and reigning and doing what you desire to do. Some, this world is your king. This society is your king. You think what society tells you to think. You do what society tells you to do. You fight for what society tells you to fight for. For some, your king is this future dream that you have. For some, you have this dream of this perfect job. So you give yourself entirely to making sure you get into the right school and get the right internship and work for the right company and climb the right ladder. And you submit and give yourself totally to that dream as your king. 
For some, it's the perfect relationship. If I just get the relationship right, everything is going to work. Every movie I've ever watched ends that way. It's got to be true. And so you make that your king. And you live and work and strive and conduct yourself in a way to try to get that dream. But in all of this, the point of all of it is to see those are little kings, little K kings that cannot provide for you what they promise, cannot give you what they say they're going to give you. The point of all of this is to point to Jesus as the great and glorious king. Jesus is the ultimate real authority. And then we submit ourselves to him. And then we see also there in verse 37, we'll hit 37 again. Second thing I want you to see is as Jesus as your king, only those who live in the truth of Christ can enter his kingdom. Here's, I want to show you this, verse 37. Again, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. and For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And I want you to hear this last sentence. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Look very carefully at that. Not everyone who hears Jesus actually listens and follows Jesus. Only those who are of the truth will truly listen to the voice of Christ. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that. He knew truths about Jesus. But he wasn't submitting to Jesus as king. Many of you know truths about Jesus. And that's good. That's step one. That's foundational. You know that Jesus is the Son of God, and He died on the cross, and He was buried, and He rose again. And you, you know those truths. That's great. My question for you, though, is this. Have you actually submitted to Jesus as your King? The two are very different. Knowing truths about Jesus... And submitting to the kingly rule of Jesus aren't the same thing. Again, I tell you this all the time. Heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell, but that doesn't mean you get to go to heaven. Heaven is only for people who love, worship, serve, obey Jesus as their king. And if you don't do that... You're not a Christian. You don't go there. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you've spent your life in church. Listen, hell will be filled with pastors. I believe that. I believe it. Hell will be filled with theologians who could argue anyone under the table. They'll still go to hell. I believe that. And hell will be filled with good church members who believed the things. I believe that. Because salvation is not about you doing the right things and believing the correct doctrine. It's about you seeing Jesus for who he is, turning away from everything in this world, and submitting just to him as your king. And if that's not what you do, you're not in him. 
You're not in him. Jesus Christ is king. And for those of us who have submitted our lives to Christ, we are in Christ, we're our followers of Christ. My question for you is this, on a day-to-day practical living and out basis, how easy is it to very subtly start to serve other things as king? Right? How easy is it to be a Christian, but very subtly in our heart, what people think of us is really our king? So that's why we're crushed when we feel like they're talking bad about us. That's why we lose our minds on social media. Because what someone thinks of you is your king. And if they're not doing that, it blows you up, man. You can't handle it. For some, fear is your king. And you have bought the lie that that's just who you are. You are a born worrier. God just made me that way. No, I want you to see king and servant. I want you to see the world like this. This is the worldview the Bible gives. King and servant. Every single one of us serves someone or something. And there are people in this room, your king that you serve is fear. It drives you. It drives what you do and what you don't do and how you raise your kids. I mean, forget helicopter mom. I mean, like you were just like, Apache. And what I want to encourage you with is just take some time and ask the Lord, okay, God, is any of that driven by fear? If it is, confess that. Confess that and say, I don't want that to be my king. I don't want to live according to that. I want to trust you as my king. Or let's get super duper uber practical. You ready? How many of us, your king is your phone? I mean, you can't go two minutes without grabbing that thing. You've been strolling through Instagram while I'm preaching. I can see you. There's not a wall here. I can see the glow on your face. And that ain't your Bible app. In all seriousness, I mean, what what would you call it? If there is something that you can't go any significant length of time without checking on, I would call that your king. You submit to it. And it literally, your heart rate goes up when you can't find it. Right? You ever lost your phone? You're like, what? Oh, thanks, Jesus. Okay. And maybe because it's all your contacts are in there, we have a cloud. What's your king? Who's your king? I want to ask our band to come up. And I want us to spend some time here this morning um, asking God to really search our hearts. One of the great storylines of the Bible is the fact that Jesus is our true and better king. And the only way you're going to find your place in God's story is if you see Jesus as your king And submit to him as your king. Is there anything, anyone in your life that you are allowing to be king over Jesus? What's going to allow you to be able 
to go to the scriptures when you have fear, when you have doubt, when you have worry, when, when you have a particular sin you're struggling with. What allows you to go to the Bible and find that verse that you need and apply it and hide it in your heart and let it change you is if you understand the real point this is trying to make is Jesus is my king and I do not want to do anything but submit to him and his rule. So I'm going to find what he's saying about this and I'm going to apply it and live it. That's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And I'm going to pray for us. And again, give us some time here on the back end to worship Jesus as King. Maybe confess and repent of some things if you need to. Listen, if you're here today and you have not truly submitted to Jesus as the king of your life so that you can become a follower of Jesus, made new by Jesus, and live for eternity with Jesus, do that today. Say, Jesus, I know that I have rebelled against you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my punishment on the cross. For rising again. I confess my sin. I confess my rebellion. I give myself to you. Forgive me of my sin. Be my king. Or if you're a follower of Christ and if you're honest, you just realize there are some things that you're allowing to rule and reign over you other than Jesus. Isn't it so good that we have a king who is gracious and loving and gentle and kind and merciful, forgiving? You don't have to run, you don't have to hide, you don't have to be afraid. You just say, Jesus, I, I'm doing this, I am... I'm allowing this person or this thing to be king. I don't want that. I confess that. I turn from that. You are my king. Take some time here this morning. Speak to him. Let him speak to you through his word. You're welcome to come forward and pray. If you'd like to. I'll be up here. My wife will be up here. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like that. Let's take some time worshiping King Jesus and asking him to search our hearts and show us any areas where we need to submit to him. Thank you, God. We love you. Do this in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to either, like Pastor Brad said, to either sit and reflect or stand and sing, or find a brother or a sister in Christ and maybe pray with them, or sing with them, celebrate with them, or you come to the altar and you pray. Whatever you do, church, I pray, I pray that you would be obedient to God in this moment for his glory. Are you hurting and broken with 
so gracious and kind when we just foolishly try to chase after other kings and other kingdoms. I pray, God, that you would continue to draw us in. Let us see you, God, for who you are. 
And as we see you for who you are, we are drawn to you. In worship, praise, and submission. Thank you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, do me a favor, have a seat. Real quick, I just want to throw a couple of announcements your way as we wrap up. One, if you're a guest with us, again, welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298, so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you. But for everyone here, we have three quick announcements, or three big announcements we want everyone to know. Number one is this, our missions team. We had a missions team uh, doing a trip in Kentucky. They're coming back um, from that now. And, uh, and so we want to share with you in the weeks to come about that and what the Lord did there. Uh, but next thing that we're doing with our missions is we're collecting school supplies. We like to give out backpacks to families here in our immediate neighborhood that are in need. And so you can help us do that as you walk out these doors in the next couple of weeks. You're going to see some boxes there. You can drop in school supplies. Do that over the next few weeks so we can compile all that together and minister to the families around us. We would love that. Second, men's retreat. This is in October. Guys, if you're signed up, the... the um, Full payment for that is going to be due by August 1st. you got a couple of weeks. Don't forget that. Make sure to get that into us. And then lastly, you can go to southviewbc.com. That's our website. And for there you're going to find downloads for all the worship songs that we sing here. You're going to find the videos for the God story testimonies that we show in service. Just ways that we want to help encourage you throughout the week. Either with music, with worship songs, with testimonies. Just hearing again God's faithfulness. And so we encourage you to use that. I think that's going to be really helpful. And then for every other announcement, everything that's going on here, of course, download the app, iTunes or Google Play. You can download the Southview Baptist Church app to stay updated and everything that's going on. You can give online through that app or give in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. But we're just, again, just so glad that you're here. Uh, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us, that you rule over us, and that you are a great and amazing king. I pray, God, that we'll see you for that and serve you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. I'm going to see you next Sunday, all right? Have a great week.